um, this is Marianne Elliott, who directed Rules for Living. Marianne is a superstar <laughs> of the London stage. Um, many of you will see, have seen her productions. Seasons Greetings was a recent one, War Horse, and The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. And uh, in the middle is Sam, who wrote the play. Um, Sam was a writer-in-residence here um, in 2013, and I think that's when she worked on this play. And she ha is also the playwright who wrote Cockroach, Edgar and Annabelle, and Vanya, which was adapted from Chekhov. Um, Sam, I think we should start with you, because I just read a piece that you'd written in Vogue magazine, oh, yes. in which you said <laughs> you, were, you went to some trouble mm. to say that the family in this play is not based it's on not your mine. own. <laughs> no. So can you, which is good, <laughs> so can you um, just tell us a little bit about the genesis, how you started thinking about it, and where it came from? Um, so I... I received the commission for the show in um, 2011, I think it was, so a, a wee while ago. And uh, it took me um, about a year to come up with a concept for the play. And I remember being in um, the espresso bar of the National Theatre, and I just had a meeting with the literary manager, Sebastian Bourne, and we talked about what kind of play I might want to write. And I went and sat down in the window um, with a cup of coffee and I came up with the idea then and there at the table. Well, in that moment? In that, in that moment. Crikey. Um, <laughs> and I remember uh, then putting my headphones in and listening to some electronica and walking up and down the South Bank backwards and forwards, trying to refine the idea in my head. Um, and it was a, um, it was born out of, of uh, learning about cognitive behavioral therapy. I'd had lots of it and I'd wanted to write about it for a, for a long time. And, um, and also a sort of a love of um, family comedies and uh, dinner party farces. And I'd seen lots of them and I'd seen them in films and I'd seen them on TV and I'd seen them at the theatre before. And I wondered whether or not there could be a marriage between what the, the, the sort of the, the well-told journey of the, of the family dinner party farce that we're all quite familiar with and whether or not I could deconstruct that in any way or, or explain that in any way through cognitive behavioural techniques. And so there is a concept within cognitive behavioural therapy called rules for living and I won't explain it in detail because you'll get bored of the scene in the play in which it happens. <laughs> but um, it, it, and it is essentially boiled down is that a person who might have low self-esteem and a negative core belief about themselves, so they might think that they're unworthy or unlovable or something, might um, create a rule to live by to help them cope with that, for example. They might need to be the best or demand of themselves that they must be um, a high achiever or beautiful or meet very high standards, those sorts of things. And I wondered whether there was, I, as, a, as an ambition for a play, could I bring together a family and assign each one of them a personality trait or a rule and an underlying core belief that they might um, be struggling with. And if they lived by that rule throughout the course of the drama very, very strictly, would they rub up against each other? Would they set each other off? Would we end up in the inevitable 
um, climax of, of the family dinner party farce as we come to expect it? And would I be able to marry the two? So, I mean, all drama, all stories are about motivation, uh, people's motivations. Mm. This has got an extra layer because, I mean, it's not clear when you're watching the play to, you know, they, they, they have impulses that they can't control. They have very deeply buried... Um, problems and psycho neuroses and all sorts of I mean mm. there's also so the, as well as the, the surface motivations as it were there's something I mean this is real kind of chemical stuff isn't it yeah so they, they are I think probably it boils down to that they're each of them are struggling with really quite chronically low opinions of themselves <laughs> and and all of this, all of the sort of psychological and physiological um, site, you know, the symptoms that come along with that, and mm. and a need to um, to feel good about themselves, and they've each created a strategy mm. um, to live by in order to to feel good about themselves. So even though they feel bad, they think if I do X, Y, and Z, and I mm. do X, Y, and Z to the letter, then I might be able to get a momentary relief or a momentary reward, and if one character is doing that and another character is also doing that and then a third and then a fourth and a fifth then what effect will each of those strategies have on each other yes. and is it the strategy for a successful family Christmas and, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I, I, think I, I reckon the answer is well you can decide for yourself if you see the show yeah. so yeah. Marianne how did the play come to you because I, I'm always especially interested when you're directing you know when you're the first director of a play it's because you're the person that brings it to life for the first time. So how did it come across your desk? I know you don't sit at a desk, but... <laughs> uh, well, um, Nick Heitner had read it and he, he gave it to me um, as a play to read. Uh, I'm an associate here, so I, had, I, I read lots of plays <coughs> here all the time that come in. Um, and I think I recognised there was a twinkle in his eye, as in, uh, I think you'd like this play. <laughs> so I... <laughs> which immediately makes you kind of go, oh, no, no. <laughs> so I, I went away and read it, and I thought that it was... Uh, it, it, I read quite an early draft, mm. if not the first draft, maybe? An early draft? Yeah, second very, draft, yeah, second draft maybe, I think. Um, I thought it was really, really interesting. It was, it was uh, quite mad at that time, wasn't it? Because it was such an early draft. Yeah. There was lots and lots of ideas in it. I think there were about 30 rules or there something. There were a generous <laughs> amount. Gosh, yeah. that's... <laughs> Um, and then I met Sam and we did a workshop on it um, and through that workshop, which was a few days, uh, I just really liked Sam and I really thought she knew what she was about and she knew what, where she wanted to take it. Uh, we got on really, really well. I could see that certain things were working and it was very clear that what wasn't working. Um, and so I, I, I said to, to Nick, yeah, yeah, I'd love to direct it. If you're going to do it, I'd love to direct it. And um, he really wanted to see to program it in his last season. Mm. Um, and I, I sort of said, I, I don't think you should ever program ever a play that isn't ready. Mm. It's not a good idea. It's always a good rule never to do that. Um, and it was quite an early stage, but it was his last season and he really wanted to do it because he really believed in Sam. And I said, well, I think if anybody can pull it out of the bag then she can so let's do it so then at that point you have to you have to go back and unpick it a bit and rework mm. i mean so how many drafts were there altogether loads <laughs> um <laughs> i so the i think you saw the second draft right. and after that uh, in my um on my computer screen there are officially i think eight folders <gasps> but within the so label draft one to draft eight 
but within each folder there are three or four different versions of each one. So whatever that is for those who are good at maths, um, <laughs> that there were there were that many. And but when when you first saw it, as you said, it was it had two different endings. It had two um, different uh, events that happened in the middle of the play. Um, there were 30 rules and the rules were very different to the rules that we've ended up with mm. and um, so we needed to have that that workshop time in order to to experiment with which rules would work physically in in a theatre environment and which ones just worked in my head um, and which did neither um, and and sort of would yeah. you be able to give us an example of a rule that went and, an, and a rule that stayed, just so that it becomes clear what, what, what you mean? Will I, will I give it away? Is that no, no, no. I don't think so. Um, okay, so <laughs> we, um, one of the, the, the rules that a character called Matthew has is that he has to sit down every time he tells a lie. And um, so the audience are made aware of that rule and then uh, we see it follow through. And that rule really worked and it worked from... Um, but I think it was one of the rules that actually um, I had a question mark over. Is this, can we, can we still keep it embedded in naturalism? So yes. if he stands up to tell a lie, can we find a, an, an excuse for that every day? So he sits down to like, we find an excuse yes. to that. Does he tie his shoelaces? Does he reach for something and sit back down? Um, so if, and if we can keep it embedded in, in the naturalism, then it works. Yes. Um, so that was one we had, we kept, we had at the beginning and kept, and one that we had at the beginning as well was that um, a, uh, one of the characters in the play had to begin categorising things in a sort of obsessive compulsive categorisation of stuff, um, whether that means, you know, alphabetising the jams or arranging the chairs in a particular order, and I think during the process of workshop, we sort of discovered it's that that was too subtle yeah. and um, mm. and potentially wasn't enough of a progression yes. on top of the rule that came before it. Yes. Um, so we learnt, we learnt things but like that. But it's such a technical feat, mm -hmm. this play. Mm. Um, so now with, it's, it's a very, very funny play. Um, it's very important, you know, your cast, it's an amazing cast, but I always wonder with actors, can anyone be funny if they've got a funny play? No. Or do you need... <laughs> no, I don't think they can, no. <laughs> no. So it is a combination of actor yes. and writing. So yeah. when you cast a comedy, what is it that you're especially looking for? Oh. Especially this one, because it's rather plungent. I mean, it's sad as well as being... Mm. Farcical, mm. because mm. they're all so unhappy, aren't they? So it's quite a hard thing to um, pronounce. Well, Deborah Findlay was in... We did two workshops, and Deborah Findlay was in both the workshops, and we just absolutely fell in love with mm. her. And she came up with some of the ideas, yeah. didn't she? Like humming uh, impolitely when somebody's trying to talk about therapy, um, <laughs> which we just thought was hysterically funny. Which, yeah. So uh, Edith, the mother, she's the mother, a rather sorry. fussy, yeah. awkward mother. Yeah. Um, so that was easy to cast. We just had to persuade her to do it. <laughs> um, uh, Stephen Mangan, I've always wanted to work with him. Mm. I suppose the thing is, it, 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 we was trying to find people who had funny bones, as I call it. Yes. But also who had um, a depth, because it, it, there is a side to this play which is um, dark and meaningful and mm. very layered. Mm. And so the actor had to be able to do both things. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, because it's a play about what happens in your childhood and mm. how that, mm. yes. how you carry that mm. through your yes. life. 
And actually as well, Rachel, because it's in the round, that mm. has a very specific demand on yes. actors and acting. I mean, we, we, we need to talk about yeah. that because n mm. no one's sitting behind us, but in tonight it will be in the round. And mm. it's, it, I mean, that is, it's so challenging, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is very challenging. I mean, I think it's challenging in a brilliant way. And I'm not scared of the round because that's how I trained at the Royal of Exchange. Course. But um, it's, it means that uh, I was trying to describe what it's like to the actors. It, it's sort of like being in a room with the characters. You're in a room with the characters, but you're, as an audience member, you're allowed to stare at them. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas normally when you're in a room with characters you're not really allowed to stare or you're, you're aware of yourself and you're, you're quite conscious of yourself but in this situation you can absolutely stare. So the actors have to be absolutely inside every single moment even when they don't have a line which is not like and on uh, mm. acting. Um, and um, it also means that the depth of thinking is vital in the acting because I, the audience is this close, so I can read mm -hmm. what the thought is sometimes, or I can read that there's no thought. Uh, so it, it's, it, it is very demanding, and it means that every single anecdote that the character talks about, every, all, all of their inner lives, what's happened to them just before they walk on, on stage, what happens to them if they go off for a couple of minutes, is all gone into with great depth. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also an incredibly technical show. So again, um, Debbie was saying in rehearsals, it was absolutely impossible to rehearse, wasn't it? Let's be fair. Mm. <laughs> absolutely like nightmare stressful to rehearse for lots of reasons, because it's about anxiety. So I think we all got you really pick anxious. up the anxiety <laughs> of the piece. Yeah, uh, but also it's, it's so technical um, that, like Debbie was saying, it's a bit like doing that all the time because you have to, remember so many things as well as remember the props, remember exactly when you're meant to be drinking and contradicting, when you're meant to be sitting down and, and, and lying, uh, what you, what's your objective in the scene? <laughs> it's just, there's a lot of demands. I mean, one of the characters, um, I don't think this is giving anything away, has to carve a chicken at one point. She does. Which, you know, just on, on a level of, she's got a massive knife in her hand, she's carving a chicken and she's also having to be, as you say, yeah. in the family, thinking yeah. about what all the, I mean, it's just... And yeah. she has to speak while she does yes. it, she has a speech. But then it's a room of, of six people, mm. yeah. and each one of those six people I felt like sometimes it was like juggling, spinning plates, you know, okay, I've got that plate spinning, oh my God, what's happening over here? <laughs> so yeah, so they all have to have their own inner lives and their own uh, staging devices, their own objectives and their own uh, particular prop hell <laughs> that goes on. Um, but also it's because it's a comedy and mm. it's a sort of heightened comedy stroke fast really mm. in a way, isn't it? Although we've set it in absolute naturalism, yeah. not the, the set, but the way that they uh, act is hopefully incredibly truthful. Um, but a comedy is, I, I think, always very demanding. Mm. It, it requires you to be extremely fastidious. It's highly technical. Mm. It's a lot more demanding than one imagines. Mm. And I think in our culture we're quite disparaging about comedies because we just think, well, you know, it's a lightweight comedy, doesn't matter. But the amount of work that goes into a comedy is, and skill, is unbelievable. Mm. Um, and actually I think it, it should be praised much more as mm. a kind of medium than, than it is. 
I always wonder about that though. When you were rehearsing a comedy, I mean, is, do you sometimes think, oh no, it's getting less funny? And so, you know, because it, that, that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, well, you know, that was sort of, um, you know, when you're repeating yeah. a, a joke, I mean, that happens when oh, you tell yeah. a joke at home. That I say, how does that work? How, how do you get a sense of the joke, you know, being right? And that applies to writing yeah. it as well. Uh, yeah, instinct, I suppose. Instinct, yeah. Because it, it goes both ways, doesn't it? It sort of sometimes it becomes so not funny you just want to kill yourself. Yeah, yeah. a and, lot. And other times it becomes hysterically funny for you mm. and for the actors. Yes. The actors corpsing and you're corpsing yeah. about something yeah. that's sort of like a becoming like an inner joke. It's actually mm. not at all funny to no. an audience at all. Yeah. So it's trying to gauge that all the time, which mm. is why it's good to have yeah. previews. What, what do you think? Well, I also try to remember, so the first time that you did it and you all made each other laugh or you, you made people watching the rehearsal laugh or the first time that we read it out and we heard that it was funny, you, you have to try and hang on to that and believe that that still exists or will exist for a new audience mm. because mm. yes, you hear the joke so many times um, that it's just not funny anymore mm. and you do the action so many times and it's not funny and and then preview, hopefully, you just have to pray and hope mm. that when preview comes around, you'll get that injection of energy from an audience who haven't seen it before and yeah. find it funny. Um, but it's a, quite a Yeah, you have to sort of find another, la yeah. another layer mm. to it that you can rely on. Yeah. If it's not funny, at least there's something else going on. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why the truth, truth or, really the, or the deeper... And then when you're um, directing something that's in the round, presumably you position yourself at different points when you're when you're in rehearsal but how are you keeping i mean how do you choose each time to watch a different actor or i mean i just wonder how you keep your eyes on everything because even when i was watching the play i my, my eyes were i mean i didn't know who to look at sometimes because it was so exciting there's so many things going on how do you work out that everyone is doing what they should be at the same time um, uh, i can smell it <laughs> <laughs> I can smell when an actor's not behind what they're doing. I can. I go, oh, you, you don't know what you're doing, do you? Uh, so I think it's just, a, it's just training. It's just, just something that yeah, you learn. Just something yeah. you learn. But yeah. you, might, you do have to be always in a different position each, each day to check that it's looking right. And yeah, I mean, um, yes. Yes, there is that. Um, and there's always an issue sometimes with sight lines. You know, maybe you should move over there because it's slightly better sight lines. But... Um, I think because we, I, d I didn't pre-stage it, this show in my head, which is quite unlike me. Mm. Um, so what, what happened was the actors, you know, we had a lot of this furniture, in fact, all of it in rehearsals, which is just unbelievably rare. We had the sofa and the chair, we had the coffee mm. table, that table, we had the sink and the sink was working, we had everything. So. We just treated it like a kitchen, and if they needed to get a spoon, they went to get a spoon. If they wanted to talk and sit to each other they, with each other, they did that, and they, they themselves found organically the best way to mm. uh, what you might call what is called blocking to, to block where they would be standing. And sometimes I'd shift it a little bit, but it became very organic because it's in the round. That's why I think the round is so wonderful mm. because it feels much more natural, much mm. more organic. It's a lot less. Um, uh, forced. Yeah, no. um, it, it, <laughs> I know. It's. It, I, I mean, I, I. One of the other things about it is it's such a physical play. I mean, there are. I don't want to give too much away, but there are fights and scraps and people 
falling over and all of that. And do you choreograph all of that, or is it a case of the actors working out what they can do and how um, little they will hurt themselves if they do X or Y? Because Sam told me earlier that there have been a few <laughs> bruised knees and so on. <laughs> and then um, when I saw the play, there was one scene where Stephen sort of fell backwards, and I thought, oh, crikey, he's cracked his head, he's not going to be able to get up. So how do you, I mean, is that down to you or them or someone else? It's down to the fight director. So there is a fight and uh, she, she choreographed it, yes, with them. Mm. But that, that particular moment you're talking about, it was Stephen's idea and he does it every night. Yeah, <laughs> does it? Yeah. God, because yeah. he seems to go down with such force. I mean, he's quite know, big yeah. and, you know, yeah. anyway, nerve-wracking. Yeah. yeah, every time he does it, I think that's it, we've lost Stephen Mangan. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, but he's, yeah, it's choreographed. Now, yeah. Sam, um, I wanted to ask you about, because, I mean, you said to me earlier about the thrill of, of, of Nicholas reading the play and then giving it to Marianne. And, um, and to have a play here, in, in especially, you know, in this amazing new theatre, and what's it like with the first time you see your words and they're finally coming to life? irrespective of all the slog you've put in. What's that like? It's huge. Um, It's really overwhelming. I think the whole whole process, the whole way through, has been, in in the most wonderful way, very overwhelming. And that um, I was saying to you earlier that the the first time that Nick... um, I was in the kitchen at the National Theatre Studio and he came up to me and we had a conversation about something else and he said, oh, by the way, I've passed your script to Marianne. Um, She's reading it. I was like, sorry, which, which script was... It, uh, the play that I'm writing for the National, you've, you've passed to Marion, and it great. And I was like, be cool, be cool, be cool. Um, and because I was such a huge fan, and she's so amazing, and I, uh, so yeah, from that mom- moment one, mm. um, it was, it's been extraordinary. And then being in workshop and being supported by the National and everything, you know, as you said, in rehearsal, we had our entire set mm. built on day mm. two. I suppose I'm, what I'm interested in is the gap between how you saw it and how it is. Because obviously it's Marianne's job to mm. interpret what you've done. Is it, is it what you thought it would be? Or oh, it may so have become much, something yeah. it's, miles it's so better? Much, it's so much more than I thought it would be. And it has become miles better than I ever imagined it. And it is... I think that you, if you want to be totally in control of what you write, then be a novelist. Yes. Because then you can work in isolation and you can... You do obviously work with an editor, but you still have mm. control over the story that comes out and the shape of the piece. And... The thing I love about theatre is that it is a collaborative medium and you have to be up for that and you have to be, you have to embrace that and welcome that if you want to enjoy making theatre. And so as a playwright, I really believe that when you write a play, you give it away Mm. and that what you're providing is the raw materials and out of which a theatre company and a a crew and a cast will will build a table. And the table is obviously not going to look exactly as you imagined it would look Mm. when you were alone. And pretty much 99.9% of the time the table looks better than you could ever imagine it and that's certainly the case for for this show because the you know, when you work with I mean Marianne and, and the designer Chloe brought a layer of of uh, concept and, and conceit to this um, play that I would never have come mm. up with myself and it it gave it a context which I think works really really well and the actors bring their comedy. You know, I, I, I put in square brackets in the text, I need a funny line here. And <laughs> could, you, could you please make this joke better? 
and um, they would come in and they'd you know read off three jokes and we'd all go yeah I think joke number two and I'd write it down and I'm now taking full credit for it and and that that didn't happen very often it I have to say it and what's about those um, at the beginning when we were talking about CBT and you said you know that you'd had a lot and you were very interested in it do you feel that the play says the things that you wanted leaving aside the jokes and the capers and all of that, mm. do you feel that the play says the things that you want, wanted to say? I mean, I certainly felt that it's a play that you really think about. It, when you're watching it, you, you know, it's funny, but then when you go home, you think, oh, that is interesting, someone in my family's like that, mm. you know. I mean, does it say what you wanted it to say? I think so, yes. And I, I obviously, I, the more that you speak to people about it and, and, and hear feedback, people are taking different things from it. And we've talked about how that, well, that's just theatre, isn't it? People are going to interpret it different ways. And, and some people have not been sure whether or not I'm pro-CBT mm. or, or anti or ambivalent about it, whereas I'm a massive champion of, of CBT and therapy in general. I think it's a great thing to do if you're ever stuck. Mm. Um, and so when I watch the play, I feel as though that message is coming across. But I totally understand if people don't. Mm. Um, so yes, I, I feel. I mean, I think it's a great triumph to be funny about therapy because mm. a lot of people would say that the sort of therapy culture has taken the jokes out of life, and this is, you know, you've managed to put jokes back it, back into therapy. So I think that's one of the great. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I really think that that's. Um, and you two have obviously loved working together. Do you think you'll? I mean, Marianne has a history of working with. I mean, you've worked with Simon Stevens a lot. Do you, would you like to work together again? If she'll have me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would just follow her around the world. <laughs> I think we should end there because um, there's going to be a bit of a practice on here now. So thanks so much for coming and thank you to Marianne and to Sam.